So as Jess mentioned, we are uh, in a series right now um, titled The Story in the Way of Jesus, and we're looking at this through the lens of Mark. And so I'm going to be reading uh, Mark chapter 2, 18 through 22. Um, if you have a Bible, I definitely invite you to turn there now. And if you don't, the words uh, will be on the screen behind me. So this is Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of untrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. This is God's word. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we would all admit that we want change, but we don't like change. Change can be uncomfortable. Change is hard. Change can feel disruptive to our lives. I mean, let's think about the current moment of change that we're living in right now. The world is such a different place today than it was two years ago. And as we've all lived through or are currently living through a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic, we all feel the weight of a changed world. We probably didn't realize it at the beginning when it first happened, but now, looking back, we can see what was about to take place was a pretty significant and heavy moment that we didn't realize at the time. Now, there is another significant and heavy life-changing event that's happening in this text this morning. One that, in that moment, the Pharisees and John's disciples could not see. But nonetheless, it would significantly change their world and ours forever. And that event was the arrival of Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, He had arrived in what Mark shows us as the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. This was a moment in a lifetime event that both John the Baptist and his disciples, as well as the Pharisees and their disciples, had waited for all of their lives, not to mention the lives of all of their ancestors. I mean, they prepared and looked toward this moment for hundreds of years. They strictly observed Jewish laws. They kept to strict religious rituals and practices. In in the text that we're looking at, one religious practice in particular that is a focal point is fasting. Jesus had arrived, and he arrived in many unexpected ways. He was ushering in a change that they were expecting and that they were looking for, but it didn't look how they expected it to look. And they seemed to miss it. 
I mean, they had waited for this change all of their lives, but they completely missed it in the moment. And when it showed up, again, it was definitely not what they expected. So as a result, this change that Jesus would bring, it would be met with disruption. It was met with tension and actually was met with a lot of resistance. Like John the Baptist and the Pharisees and their disciples, when Jesus brings change into our lives, we too can meet it with resistance and tension and receive it as disruption. But God, my prayer this morning is that you would give us grace to lovingly receive the change that you have for us. God, would you help us to trust the process, trust in your process that is at work in our lives every day, even in this moment. Amen. This morning, I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the process of change, our response to change, and our hope for change. And I'll start with the process of change. In the interchange in our text this morning, we see two different ways that change happens. And by change, I want to be clear, I mean the change that makes us right before God. And if you give me permission to use a churchy word, how we are made righteous. Now there's the Pharisees of change, the Pharisees' way of change, and there's Jesus' way of change. And I don't hold these up to pit them against one another. I'm just acknowledging that they're just two different approaches to change. The Pharisees represent one way, and Jesus represents another way. The Pharisees represent the Old Covenant. This is the law that is found in the Old Testament or the Torah. And Jesus represents the New Covenant. He is the fulfillment and the embodiment of the Old Covenant law in the flesh. He is the New Covenant. And for the Pharisees and their disciples, their lives were uh, devoted to adhering tightly to religious practices and laws of the Torah. This was, for them, a way of righteousness, the way to be made right with God. It relied on their actual actions and their works and their efforts. It relied on adhering uh, to the rituals and the religious practices tightly. They were practices like washing their hands, washing their feet, practices like fasting twice a week, practicing Sabbath, and many other practices. This change is achieved by what I would call perfect works. But the problem for the Pharisees is that these practices became the end to a means, as opposed to a means to an end. The process of the Pharisees was one that made you righteous from the outside in. And for the Pharisees, the emphasis became based on their outward expression of prayer that was put on display for all to see. Now, maybe we do or maybe we don't put our practices uh, on display for others to see. But I think we can get into a mindset that measures our goodness as Christians by checking boxes. I read my Bible this week, check. I went to church on Sunday, check. I tithe, check. I cuss less this week, check. You know who you are. 
This list can go on. We could take an inventory on what we do and see that as a reflection of our righteousness before God. And don't get me wrong, many of these things uh, obviously are things that we should be doing. But my point is that our measurement of goodness and perfection is not found in checking the boxes. It's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And when Jesus arrived on the scene, he became the standard in the measurement of righteousness. He became the mark, the target that we're aiming for. He established a new process for change. This is a process that happens from the inside out, not the outside in. We have to receive him. We have to take him in for the process of change to happen and to be made right with God. So Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, when he shows up, he shows up bringing something entirely new and a different approach to change. This is what he called new wine. And he said that new wine requires new wineskins. When Jesus came to bring something entirely new, it's not based on a rigid or legalistic, rule-based approach to change. The change Jesus brought didn't fit into the mold of the Pharisees' religion. This new way that Jesus brought, it needs to fit into an entirely new and an entirely different mold. Now, all of our lives have been molded. We have been stretched and shaped by many things around us. Family, friends, major life events, experiences both good and bad. These things have shaped part of who we are and who we've become. When we meet and embrace Jesus, he actually desires to pour his life into ours. But what happens when we try to add Jesus and fit him into a mold that was created and shaped by life and the world around us, we discover friction. We discover tension. And we discover what feels like disruption. Now, personally for me, um, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 18, when I got baptized. And I lived several years after that in what I referred to as one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. I tried to fit Jesus into an old life mold that I was, I was hanging on to. And I realized after a while that something wasn't working. Initially, I don't think I understood why it wasn't working. I just knew I was trying to live based on old patterns and lifestyles, but there was something at odds in my spirit. And then Jesus finally opened my eyes to it. The mold of my life, the old mold of my life, was at odds with the new wine that Jesus wanted to pour into me. Things that were once okay for me to do were no longer okay for me to do. And I had to make the decision, I had to make a decision on what it was that I was going to let go of. And I had to step into a place where I would give God full and complete authority over all of my life so that he could do a renewing work in my life. 
I would love to ask you, what parts of your life, what old things in your life are you holding on to this morning that God wants you to let go of? What parts of your life does Jesus desire to make new? Sometimes when uh, Jesus comes into our lives, we think we can fit Jesus into our old mold that we find, again, that it, it just doesn't work. It's like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Our old mold, our old ways of living are not compatible with the new life that Jesus brings. So our old molds need to be made new so they could contain the new life that Jesus has to offer. He has to bring renewal to our mold and reshape our mold so that it can hold and contain all the things that he wants to do in our lives. And when that process of renewal starts, it actually never stops. To this day, God is still continually renewing the mold of my life so that I can hold all the things that he wants to do in my life. This is what the process of change looks like with God in our lives. It's not comfortable. There's tension. There's friction. And so in what place in your lives do you feel stretched right now? What change are you going through? How do we respond to this process of change? How do we respond to the process of change that Jesus is doing in our lives? Well, I'd love to talk about that in our response to change, my second point, our response to change. One of our natural responses to change is fear. In Matthew chapter 2, it tells us uh, of Herod's response to the news of a new king of Jews being born. In Matthew chapter 2, 2 through 4, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judea territory, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, Where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? When the word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. I mean, change can trigger fear because it upsets the balance of power. For us, it's the same way in our own lives. Because we love having a sense of complete control over our life. And so we fear change. I mean, it's amazing what the fear of change creates in us. We can go into irrational and internal panic when change is out of control. I mean, think back to toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic. It's crazy. I mean, this kind of fear, it's it's disruptive to our lives. It It can draw different things and different responses out of us. Because change is sometimes scary. Change is always unfamiliar. And change is definitely uncomfortable. And that discomfort comes in many shapes and forms. And I want to talk about an uncomfortable change that can take shape in the form of the fermentation process of Jesus in our lives. Our lives are referred to as new wineskins, and how Jesus pours his wine, 
his life into our lives. And let's think about that process for a minute. I mean, we all understand wine, but the idea of wineskins may not be that familiar to us in our modern-day context. Today, we see wines that are stored in barrels or bottles, or maybe even boxes or cans. The upscale stuff. (laughs) But we don't typically see wine stored in skins. If we did, we probably would not buy it. Here are two pictures. One is a picture of new wineskin, and other is a picture of old wineskins. Isn't that attractive? (laughs) In Jesus' day, these skins of animals were used to store liquids like wine. And when the wine would ferment, it would create gases that would stretch and shape and mold and grow these skins to capacity. This is, similar, uh, this is a, a similar to the process that happens when Jesus pours wine, his life, into our vessels. It needs renewal. And that renewal process, it will stretch us, it will shape us, it will grow us, and it will mold us. So I ask you again, in what areas of your life is change stretching you and shaping you and molding you? And how might the renewal process of Jesus be at work through that? For his work to be accomplished in us, we need renewal. It is his process of renewal in our lives that create and maintains a capacity to hold all of the things that he has in store. And this is why the new and the old are not compatible. They don't work together. If you try to use old wineskins for new wine... In the, ferment, in the fermentation process, the expansions from the gases would burst the old wineskins. You really couldn't use old wineskins for new wine because they would have already been stretched to capacity. Pouring new wine into old wineskins would risk ruining both the wineskins and the wine. Now, similarly, when Jesus is poured into our lives, his fermentation process in us, again, is going to expand us, it's going to stretch us, and it's going to grow us to capacity. And so we need to be made new vessels to hold and contain his life. Our old life and our old way of living is not compatible with the new way that Jesus brings us into. Our old ways cannot contain the new life that that Jesus Christ has for us. And that, per, per, that fermentation process, it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel very uncomfortable as we are molded and stretched and shaped by what he's doing in our lives. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit that is bringing renewal to our vessels so that we can hold the capacity of change that Jesus wants to bring into our lives. Our capacity to hold the kind of change Jesus wants to bring in our lives can only happen by taking in his life and living by his life. Not by creating our own standards of righteousness or living by our old ways of legalism or living by our old patterns and behaviors. Lastly, I want to talk about our hope for change. 
Our hope for change is only found in Jesus. He is the one who makes us into new wineskins so that we can hold the new life that he has in store for us. Now, the beauty of it is that we just need to be open to it. We need to say yes to Jesus. And when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will begin a work of renewal and make us new vessels that can hold all the good things that God has in store for us. Jesus takes the mold of our old life and he renews it. He creates a new mold that contains all that he has to offer. Jesus wants to take the old and replace it with the new. And the beautiful thing is, is that new never grows old. It's new day by day. Give us this day our daily bread. So in closing, I want to read um, Isaiah 61.3, where it says, He will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be made like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. This is the joy and the hope of change that can only be found in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, we confess that we have a desire to change. But God, we also confess that we don't always like change. We confess that change is uncomfortable. But Lord, we also confess that um, our old ways are not going to bring about new life. Only you can do that. And so help us, God. Give us grace as we do our best to open ourselves to what you want to do in our lives. Help us to just be open-handed with what you want to do in our lives. Help us to invite you in and say yes to you day by day, God. We can only do this by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.